CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Options Action on what was another brutal day for the markets. The Dow sinking 572 points, sitting firmly in correction territory, down more than 10% from the highs. The S&P and NASDAQ both falling 2% more than, actually falling about 2% yes. right here. All 11 S&P 500 sectors were in the red today, seven of those in a correction, including the financials, which are kicking off earnings season next week. J.P. Morgan, Citi, Wells Fargo all report a week from today. The implied moves right there on your screen. So... How should you play the group heading into what could be a make-or-break week for the stocks, Dan? Well, this is a really important sector. Obviously, this is one of the first sectors to report every earnings season, and I think there's been a lot of bullishness for good reasons regarding the banks heading into 2018. But expectations are pretty high. And, you know, just look at J.P. Morgan, obviously the biggest one, considered best of the breed, still up on the year. That said, it is down 10% from its highs. Some of the other money centers are not acting nearly as well. Citigroup is down almost 8%. That was also one that people were really excited about valuation and also the potential for capital return. So, you know, when I think about this group, you just mentioned three of the biggest holdings, about 25% of the XLF are going to report next Friday. I think you can look at XLF puts as a way to maybe hedge existing holdings or a cheap way to play volatility in a market that is back. I mean, we have volatility back. And if there's any really specific um, data or anything that's going to drive this market lower, I expect on the next leg lower, banks to outperform that move. You know, volatility does tend to be reflexive, meaning that as volatility picks up, you tend to get more of it immediately afterwards. And there's some good reasons for that. I think Tim actually in the earlier show mentioned it, which is that as volatility rises, very frequently people's confidence in hanging on to their positions, where multiples should be, also will tend to decline. So that definitely would be a reason why you could expect some further volatility. My counterpoint might be that some stocks, like Wells Fargo, to me, on a valuation basis, there was so much bad news in there already, unlike some of the two others that you just mentioned. To me, I was thinking it might actually start to bottom here. So, Dan, what's your trade? Yeah, so really I want to look at it. I'll let Carter talk to the chart. I do have a one-year chart. 27 in the XLF seems to be a really important near-term technical support. I want to look to April expiration. That's two more weeks here. This could be used as a hedge against some bank holdings, but you could look out and just buy the April 27 puts, paying 55 cents for those. That's about 2% of the underlying uh, ETF price. It breaks even down at 26.45, and you have profits below that. Um, but to me, I think if you think about these earnings next week, and they're going to have more bank earnings the following week, you have a two-week trade here where I think you're going to be able, at the very least, wiggle out of this one, have a free look on the earnings next Friday. So to me, I like the risk-reward of this trade. I mean, financials, uh, obviously, one, are the second most important in terms of weight for the market, but most important because of the lifeblood of the system. And the thing that we know about financials as a group is that they broke below their February 9th lows. That's not the case for the market. That's not the case for a lot of sectors. So there's been more pressure here already, and the presumption is it's going to break past the February low. I mean, I think that's what your trade is. It's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, trade? Well, certainly I like the, tr the structure of the trade. I mean, one of the things that you definitely want to be is an owner of options in circumstances like this. Very often what will happen, we talk about implied volatility, the price of options. We like to sell it when it's high and buy it when it's low. What's interesting, though, is that when the market itself gets very volatile, sometimes options are actually relatively underpriced in the short term. You often see that. 
Yeah, just one last point. I think this is a really important sector from a sentiment standpoint. I think expectations are high that these companies are going to print good Q1 numbers. Um, I think if you think about Jamie Dimon's letter yesterday and yep. some of the commentary, I think you should expect some cautious commentary about some of the stuff that's going on here. He made specific comments about immigration, but obviously the trade stuff is going to be important. So to me, if these groups, if this group reports good numbers and they can't rally, then that may spell something worse for the broader market, especially because what Carter just said, the relative underperformance to the broad market is concerning. Do you think on a sentiment basis there's some validity to that in terms of what the group reports and how they perform based on what they report will taint uh, how we view or any uh, season Well, we, we should actually take a look at the market as a microcosm for capital allocations in general. And that's obviously going to impact the banking sector because if you think about project finance or anything that ultimately commercial loan growth you know, we often talk about net interest margins, but of course you have to actually make loans. And to make loans, you have to have people committing capital. And if people are concerned that the outlook is uncertain, they're not going to do that. And that will obviously impact banks. All right, let's go to another sector that got slaughtered today, the industrials. Our Dom Chu is live at the NYSE with the details. Hi, Dom. All right, so Melissa, Dan Nathan just mentioned this idea that there's an important sector in financials for sentiment. Well, another important sentiment indicator about what the market's been doing recently has been those industrial stocks. And like you pointed out, they've gotten uh, beaten up pretty badly today and have been really one of those barometers or sentiment indicators for what's going on with regard to the progress or lack thereof in terms of trade talks, specifically with China. So we took a look at some of the industrial companies out there that have the most exposure to China in terms of their business overall. According to data from MSCI and FactSet, these are some of the ones that we picked out because they're names that you know. Deer, 8% revenue exposure to China. Caterpillar, 9%. Boeing, 11%. 3M, 13%. Borg Warner on the auto parts side, also 13% exposure as well. If you look at some of the charts today of some of those stocks, you will see either market perform or market underperform action in those names. And many times it's because they are used as gauges of that trade deal or, or lack thereof with China. One other one I want to focus on is General Electric. Now, this is a stock, obviously, that has had its own issues outside of just Chinese trade talks and whatnot. The stock is hovering near a 52-week, actually, at this point, a multi-year low. But it's also a stock that gets about 8% of its revenues from China. So its own secular issues, its own kind of company-specific ones to deal with, as, long as, as well as some of the ones with, with China. And you have General Electric shares also taking a bigger-than-average hit today as well. So industrials overall, certainly, Melissa, a huge point of a contention and interest for traders in this marketplace, specifically as an indicator for China and perhaps others. Melissa, back over to you guys. All right. Thanks so much, Dom Chu. Have a great weekend. Well, Dom, of course, mentioned GE, the worst performing industrial name in 2018, down 25 percent and more than 56 percent over the past year, shedding some $145 billion in market cap over that time. But the chart master here says the bottom could be near. So, Carter, why don't you head over to the plasma break? Sure. So this is outright speculation. Um, and, and speculation, if you think about it, is, is it's forming a theory without firm evidence. So we, this is just that, going to be all haywire, or it's going to be quite clever. Let's figure it out. Um, this is back to the peak in 99. And what we know is after these counter-trend rallies, you have this plunge as it breaks down through the thing. A counter-trend rally from the oh, uh, sort of the lows of 09 up until 07, and then we have this plunge. Now, I want to use this construct and pull it back to a little bit longer term. Here is going back to the 1990s. So one of the great winners of all time, right? It peaks with the market in the dot-com era, and you have these two sort of counter-trend moves and plunges, counter-trend moves and plunges. Now, keeping an eye on those two plunges, watch this. This is fun. 
if you look at the RSI, it today touched to the penny the exact same level as the 09 low. And the stock over the last two weeks is actually holding up a little bit better than the market. So let me show it to you on a short-term basis. I'm thinking that we might just at this point, let's say even if GE goes to zero or one, that the path lower passes through a higher price or maybe, maybe uh, an enduring bottom sets in. So on the short-term chart, here's what's sort of interesting. As, again, it's continued lower over the last several weeks and months, the actual internals have moved higher. I think I want to stick my neck out, take a gamble that this very important, now less important stock is maybe so bad it's good. Very bold call, so, Carter. Yeah, do you yeah, agree so, with Well, it's interesting. So bad it's good. This was a company that was masterful at managing their earnings forever. And then take a look at what has happened over the course of recent years. They've missed. They've had real big disappointments. Things are worse than we thought. Rather than being able to reach into closets all over a huge enterprise and find little bags of money that they could bring out on earnings, instead, skeletons are what's coming out. So that's the risk factor. Of course, they have been pretty forthcoming in the most recent case, I think, about how disappointing some of that has been. And maybe some of the worst of it is behind us. And a positive surprise could be on the opposite side. That said, I wouldn't reach out and buy the stock. We're on options action. I think options are the way to play this. I was looking at the June 14, 15 call spread. Earlier today, you could buy those 14 calls for about 50 cents, sell the 15s for a quarter. So you're spending 25 cents. That's one quarter of the distance between the strikes. Essentially, you're making a three to one bet. And take a look. I mean, it's interesting. I, you don't need to look at the market to see how volatile things have been. But GE has been this volatile. It has made these kinds of moves in relatively short periods of time. We're getting about 70 days out of this thing. I think that's the way you want to make your bullish bet in this thing. It could go to that 15 strike or beyond it pretty easily in that time frame. So the professor over here normally would be very hesitant to suggest a My trade opinion. idea. Oh, prof yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, a, a trade idea where the break even on the trade is up 10% from the, where the stock is trading. But here's the deal with this thing. It is so oversold. And when this thing bounces, if it does bounce, you're going to have a move at least above that breaking even level. And so when you think about the trade, as Mike just said, a three to one risk reward on something that's so out of favor and so down and out looks like a good bet, and especially because you have about, what, two and a half months at this point? There's so, a huge amount of leverage yeah. also on this balance sheet. You're talking about $200 billion worth of debt. So basically, if you think about the value of the enterprise swinging around by three or 4%, you know, that's going to swing the equity by a multiple of that. And that's how we actually see that options could pay for the leverage that you're buying there. If you see weakness for the markets ahead, is GE certainly going to fall? Well, that's right. So that's the decision to think for whether you're owner now or whether you're thinking of, hey, should I speculate and take a chance? I suspect GE will go down with the market, but it probably has had a, so many people abandoned at this point that if money's going to exit the market aggressively, that it's going to be from stocks that have held up very well. People say, I got to keep my gains. Sort of the ATM notion in the yeah. market. Yeah. And that's your that's your hope as well. Well, that is certainly There's my no hope. There's no one there, left to sell. Oh, yeah. So well, there is there is there is one fundamental problem in all of that, and that is that one of the things strategically that the company is doing is trying to divest assets. And very often, when you have those kinds of spinoffs, those are the things you should be buying. But obviously, if the market gets highly disruptive, that could disrupt those sales, and that fundamentally creates a potential headwind in all this volatility. All right, for everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. And while you're there, check out our newsletter. More than 100,000 of you have. So what are you waiting for? Here's what's coming up. Testifying before angry congressional members. That's exactly what Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg will do next week. We'll tell you how to protect your shares.
Plus, calling all options action fans. Is the sell-off freaking you out? Well, reach into your pocket, pick up your phone, and tweet us your question. If it's nice, we'll read it when options action returns. Welcome back to Options Action. Facebook shares sitting on the verge of a bear market as CEO Mark Zuckerberg prepares to testify before Congress next week. Julia Borson's in Los Angeles with more on this developing story. Hi, Julia. Melissa, Mark Zuckerberg has a big week ahead as he looks to assure regulators that he's got the platform under control. Tuesday afternoon, he's testifying before the Senate Judiciary and Commerce Committee's joint hearing, and then Wednesday morning, the House Committee on Energy and Commerce hearing. We can expect him to emphasize the big changes that Facebook has made in the past two weeks to address privacy concerns and get ahead of potential regulation. That includes redesigning users' privacy settings, restricting the data that apps can access from Facebook, making it easy for users to quickly delete all the apps that are collecting their data, and just today, launching more steps to ensure ads and pages are legitimate and transparent. Expanding beyond authorization of just political ads, now Facebook will require authorization for the purchase of any issue-related ads, those about hotly debated topics of national legislative importance. Also requiring any pages with tens of thousands of followers to be authenticated, to be able to restrict the likes of the Russian Internet Research Agency, which used pages to spread fake news. Now, Facebook says it's still working out the details of what it'll take to authenticate a page or authorize an ad. But Mark Zuckerberg writing, quote, these steps by themselves won't stop all people trying to game the system, but they will make it a lot harder for anyone to do what the Russians did during the 2016 election and use fake accounts and pages to run ads. Consumers can also expect a lot more disclosures, identifying political and issue ads with paid-for information. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Los Angeles. So if you own Facebook and you're worried about the stock, how can you protect yourself? Dan's over at the Plasma with the call to action. Dan. Yeah, so I want to talk about a, a collar strategy, which is an overlay to a long stock position, and it's one that makes a lot of sense. We get a lot of questions about, you know, stock replacement strategies, how do I replace an economic interest, but a lot of times people don't want to sell their stock for a whole host of reasons, and there's some good strategies that you can use to protect your stock. So let's talk about a collar and what that really is. It's really selling an out-of-the-money call and using the proceeds to buy an out-of-the-money put, and you keep your stock position in place. Why do you want to do that? All right, one of the most important reasons is you want to hedge your stock. Okay, you want to define the risk to some degree. Um, but the second reason is really important, especially in a stock like Facebook right now, where implied options, or implied volatility, the price of options has moved up pretty considerably as the stock has sold off 20% over the last month or so. So you don't want to pay too much for it. But the most important thing when you're buying a collar versus long stock is that you basically want to. Have some defined risk to this uh, downside, but you're willing to give up some potential upside to do that. So let's kind of work through Facebook here um, a little bit um, and look at some of the inputs that I might consider of how to choose the strikes for this collar. So here's the stock today. When it was trading at about 160, you see this decline that the stock has been. The stock has actually found a little bit of a home here uh, around 160. It bounced off of 150 on a couple of occasions, but I want to target this right here, okay? This level at 170 was the gap when this news about Cambridge analytics came out. So right now I have the stock at 160, I have 150 support, and I have 170 resistance, okay? So let's kind of focus on those um, levels right here because the next chart is really important. This may highlight why 150 is so important, why you may want protection below that. Look at this chart. This is since its IPO back in 2013. Look at this line. I'll let Carter kind of comment on it, but 150 seems like really important long-term technical um, support. So lastly, 
Let's get to this kind of trade strategy. Options prices nearing multi-year highs. Um, that's why we want to sell a call to buy a put. Here's the trade idea. When the stock was trading at 160, you could look out to June expiration and sell one against 100 shares, one of the June 170 calls at five bucks and use the proceeds to buy one <coughs> of the June 150 puts for five dollars. Here's what you do. You have profits of up to ten dollars between the current price of 160 and up to 170. Your stock would get called away at 170. You could always buy back that short call to keep that long stock position in place. You would have losses down to 150, the long put strike, but you're protected below. Again, think about the news in the stock. Think about all the potential headwinds. Think about that technical setup. Collars could make sense if you're nervous about Facebook, but you want to hold on to your long stock position. You know, it's interesting. When you take a look at collars, you were talking about the premium, the options premium. It's often unusual to find situations where you can buy a put that is the same distance out of the money, in this case, 10 bucks, as the call you're selling. So essentially, you get to play within that band without spending any premium. Oftentimes, you have to sell a lower strike call that's mm. tighter to the money. So the math on this one works out really nicely because this is a situation where you would think, with all of the news out, that those puts would be bid. And they are, but the calls are too. And I do think that if there is some risk here, it is of more bad news or some follow-on effects to that news that could influence the company in the coming months. All right. Well, how about those lines? I mean, that, <laughs> the lines are beautiful, right? I mean, an uptrend is an uptrend. So we have in Peter Lynch parlance a 10 bag, right? It was $20 in 2013, almost hit 200, and now this 23, 24% drawdown right to a trend line. Almost like the market, obviously in a greater order of magnitude, but we're down to a key level. Are we going to break or are we going to bounce? In the first instance, we found a home, just what you've said, Dan. But the, the real risk is that ultimately after backing and filling that it undercuts the line with the market or equities in general. So I, I'm in the camp that probably there's more downside than there is upside. Yeah, and the most important point about this is, like, I could not say to somebody, you should spend $5 for that June 150 put. That's $10 out of the money. This is a way to kind of even it up here. It's not costing you anything out of the gate. You are giving up some potential upside for potential downside protection. So that's the most important point. Still ahead, chip wreck. Semi stocks sinking into correction territory, down more than 13% from their highs last month. So, how much worse can it get? The traders will weigh in. Plus, got a question about all the crazy volatility? Send us a tweet to at Options Action. If it's nice, one of the traders might answer it later in the show. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in New York City's Times Square. Don't move. Much more Options Action right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at some of our open trades. Now, two weeks ago, Dan said chips were about to dip lower. Look at this chart right here, the SMH. I mean, it really looks like it's going back to that uptrend that's been in place. I don't think I'm saying that the thing's going to crash by any means, but I think that if the S&P and the NASDAQ go back to those prior Feb 9 lows, this thing is going back to the mid to low 90s. You could look out to May expiration and buy the May 105.95 put spread. Well, since then, the SMH has fallen more than 7% into correction territory. So how are you trading the chips? Yeah, down? so that was a $10 wide put spread. It was mm -hmm. pretty near the money. Um, it's at the below the midpoint of it. And I think that the way this ETF is moving, you're going to get an opportunity to take this thing off as it goes down another 2 3%. And then I think you want to move out of it because at that point, it's probably pretty oversold. The risk reward is not great to hold that put spread any longer. Yeah, I agree. I mean, actually, what's basically happening is you're getting, if you hold that all the way down, effectively what's going to happen to you is you're going to be synthetically short a very cheap call spread. And if the market rebounds sharply in that case, 
that's going to sting you. If you really did want to press your bearish bets, you would roll out and down. I mean, obviously, it's a beta trade, right? I mean, you're going to get the market plus some. But one thing we do know is well above its February 9th low versus the market, which is right there. So in a way, it's held up better. So he's saying I'm wrong. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, listen, I, I think that fundamentally, though, something might have shifted a little bit in this space is one of the reasons why I think Mike makes a great point. At some point, this, this trade is more than a double. You roll it out. You take the profits and you find a different structure. All right. Up next, your tweets and the final call from the options pits. Time for some tweets. Our first fan, Ivan the K, asks, is there any market significance to Dan's new haircut? Listen, Ivan the K, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. It's Bentley. He's been doing my hair since 1999. Call me. I'll give you his deets. <laughs> our next guest asks, or our next uh, tweet, Twitterer asks, what is the ideal delta to sell options? 0.15 to 0.2? This screams Professor Co. 0.15 to 0.2. That might actually be a little bit on the low side as far as I'm concerned. I would say you might go out as far as 30 delta. We usually talk about it 15 to 30 delta. That's the percentage. Ah. Of the options oh, so prices like move. 0.15. Right, and then and this is an intelligent question. And the reason it's an intelligent question is because depending on the tenor and the volatility of the stock, that actually helps you automatically identify the correct strike. So 30 to 20 delta would probably be the area I would tip. It's a perfect like. one for Mike. Time for the final call. Carter. Final call, I want to speculate on G. But, uh, it's so bad it's good. Use call spreads for that. Yeah. Yeah, so Facebook, I like collars against long stock right here. Our time has expired. I'm Melissa Lee. For more Options Action, check out the website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. Stay tuned, though. Mad Money's up next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.